0: Purple Elephant shower thought of the day, which um, I got from The Hustle, The Hustle Newsletter this time. The more times you're late for a Zoom because of internet problems, the more convincing it becomes. So, I guess consistency is key. This is Purple Elephant Radio, where we hear about storytelling, originality, and creativity from the creators who are actually making something matter. I'm your host, Sean Green. Today's guest is another cousin. So a couple episodes ago, I did my cousin Ryan, who's a ceramicist. This cousin is in... uh, an up and coming industry, the cannabis industry right now. He's the partner for a cannabis consulting firm that he founded about last year called quarter coast, quarter coast, coast uh, consultancy. And I'm talking about my oldest cousin, Zach green. Welcome. Thanks, Sean. Can't wait. Uh, can't wait to chat a little bit here. We, uh, we've had some great
1: conversations just via text and, you know, yeah. the last few years I'm glad to put this on, uh, to make this more formal.
0: Yeah, and I think I should emphasize that you're kind of like the the self-development junkie cousin alongside me. And I think that's something I have been able to talk about in this podcast because you know the focus has been on creativity and like talking to like filmmakers and you know, like graphic designers and stuff like that. So I haven't really had the opportunity to dig into something I consider to be a big part of my identity. But I'm glad to have you on because I think we can really riff off a lot of great topics totally. and people can get a lot from it.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, even, uh, it's always been impressive for me, you know, not to age myself on the podcast, but <laughs> being the oldest cousin, um, you know, almost what, 12 years or so older than you. Yeah. It's crazy to think about. Um, you always, you got into all that stuff such at such a young age. And it's always been incredible for me. You know, we'll talk about it, I'm sure. But for me, it was kind of in the more recent years that I got into a lot of the self-development type work and, uh, yeah, we always talk about, I love it, man. It's, it's so exciting to see your path. And I think, you know, just sharing that with other people is something I love to do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, one of the interesting things that I think you can really, um, relate to kind of creatives who might listen to this podcast is talking about cannabis, uh, weed. Um, (laughs) I don't think I haven't wanted to talk about, The, um, I haven't wanted to talk about weed on this podcast because I don't want to do it from like an illegal kind of misuse perspective, but I think you really promote kind of, I think the new, I don't even want to say stereotype, but just the new identity of someone who uses cannabis legally and using it for like, you know, little boosts of creativity or self-development, getting more in touch with yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, can you just talk a little bit about your journey into the
1: legal cannabis industry? So yeah, out of college, I was a finance major, um, went to Washington DC, got into consulting and I thought that was going to be a good path for me, which ultimately is still what I'm doing today, which is, you know, kind of, uh, ironic, but when I was in D.C., I realized that it was a very... Um, the corporate world just wasn't for me. It was, it was a little too mundane. I, I wasn't getting enough out of it. I probably wasn't putting enough in because I didn't have the passion. But ultimately, it wasn't uh, fulfilling on a day-in and day-out basis. So I ended up... Um, and again, thanks to... you know We talk about family. I know this is... I'm following up Ryan here. So yeah. very fortunate I was in D.C. Thanks to uh, one of our uncles um, that, that got me a job out in uh, D.C. at Booz Allen. And then I bounced to Ernst & Young, so both very reputable consulting companies that I learned a, a ton from, but it just didn't necessarily fuel my fire. And in 2016, I had an opportunity to come back to work for my Uncle Bobby at a company here called Green Fox. Green Fox at the time, their only uh, investment in the cannabis space was a dispensary in Illinois. Mm-hmm. And it was a, it was, they were one of the first licensed dispensaries in the state in Marion, Illinois. And I came back as they were evolving and expanding their business into Maryland. And then ultimately when I joined the team in 2016, I moved back home. I joined as a business development uh, VP right. and kind of really helped expand the business mm-hmm. to California. And we made some additional investments up in the Northeast and really grew it from there. And I, at that point I really got to see it wasn't just, I knew cannabis had a lot of potential at that point, seeing right. what Cal, you know California had been doing for since 1996. Uh, what Colorado had been doing, you know, for the last, you know, five or six years prior to that. And I knew there was so much potential on the medical side. And once I got in the industry, I started to hear and see about the patients that were impacted from, from can, or that, you know, the, the positive benefits from cannabis that were much farther reaching than I ever realized, whether it was, you know, cancer or, you know, glaucoma, or just even just, you know, chronic anxiety, chronic pain, people that used it in a way to, make them just, you know, have a, a more, um, t- uh, just an easier life. Honestly, it was, it was really, really eye-opening to me. So that kind of started my journey into cannabis. And I um, I worked for Green Fox up until last spring. And in, in uh, the spring of 2019, uh, my business partner and I formed Quarter Coast Consulting, which is really focused on uh, consulting for new license applicants in new markets in the, in the country, mm-hmm. but also helping operationalize businesses that had one have one licenses in new markets, and we are um, we our first client was here in Missouri. We were successful in, in um, obtaining licensure uh, five licenses for a group here called Blue Arrow, and in cannabis, I won't go too into into depth on it, but I was going to say into the weeds, but that's you know I, I hate saying <laughs> that. Um, too into depth on it, but basically there's three different types of licenses normally. There's a there's a cultivation license, which is to grow. There's the manufacturing or processing license, which is to basically take the flour and extract it into oils to, or to edibles, to mm. you know uh, concentrates, things like that nature. And then there's the dispensary side, which is the retail side. And if you complete that vertical chain, if you have licenses in each three of those verticals, it allows you to be... Some people believe, others disagree, but it allows you to be uh, to control the supply chain. So people get you know feel that you really want to own all three licenses in each market. Mm-hmm. We were able to secure that for Blue Arrow here in St. Louis, and moving forward, we work with a lot of groups trying to help them obtain that vertical licensure. My partner Max and I are also very focused in kind of taking some of that on in some of these newer states ourselves. We want to really help. Implement certain initiatives into this industry that we feel are important, such as um, social equity, sustainability, really creating a culture and ethos that represents what we're about. And Mm -hmm. it's a lot easier to do that when you actually have control of the business. And it's one of the things we've learned. So that's kind of our goal here. You know, moving forward in the 2021 is really working and creating some companies and and especially in some of these newer markets. In this past election there were five new states that came online mm-hmm. and uh, South Dakota was actually the first one that uh, legalized uh, me- medical and recreational at the same time okay um, that was, so that was pretty interesting so, do you but, think that'll be kind of the trend with the rest of the states I yeah I think it, it's gonna be interesting to see what what starts to happen in with legalization because I think especially with uh, a Biden presidency there's gonna be you know you, you may have a path to um, potentially descheduling cannabis right. from a Schedule One drug, and if that happens, that would be really interesting because it would probably open up the um, the possibility for a lot of states that are currently medical to go recreational much quicker. And then, like you said, a lot of states that aren't don't have any laws um, or you know any legalization at all to go straight from you know nothing to recreational. So, which a lot of states call adult use instead of recreational. Okay, um, but. But yeah, that's kind of, I'd say, at a high level, kind of the landscape of the industry. And at this point, we think the next few years are going to be a huge
0: boom. There's just so much oh, opportunity
1: yeah. in, in the space right now.
0: Yeah, I think, um, well, one thing that I like that you said is kind of, I mean, you do consultant work for, you know, investors who can probably see the potential, but aren't always focused on bringing about like, Um, the wellness aspect um, that cannabis can really represent. They're more about, you know, this is an investment. I want to see returns on my money. So that's why I think like someone like you and what you're doing is great because, I mean, obviously, you know, the industry, you're um, running a business and you know what needs to be done to get these licenses. But then once you have them, you kind of know what, like how to integrate sustainability and they're kind of listening to your guidance Cause they obviously want the best return on their money and you can implement the stuff that is right. You know, the sustainability and the health um, and wellness aspects of it.
1: Yeah. I think it's interesting. So one of the stats that I heard last year on from a sustainability side, just from, from a growth standpoint is that cannabis industry, I think it was in the stat was from 2018 too, which is two years ago. Uh and The industry has grown a lot since then Uh, cultivation facilities in legal markets so just legal markets, imagine how many illegal grows in the country, right. consumed uh, 1% of the, the country's electricity, which I thought was really high for you know, just the one industry, uh-huh. cannabis. And I think moving forward, what you're going to see from a sustainability side is businesses focusing on you know, really f- finding ways to, I mean, already with LED lighting has become huge, but when you see some of these Southern states start to implement, um, you know, uh, whether it's medical or adult use- Looking at more greenhouse grow, you know, natural sunlight. I think being u- utilized rather than a lot of these. Let's say you're in New York or Ohio or you know in Illinois, and you don't have as much of an option to do that because you don't get as much sunlight. So if the the climate allows you to grow in those conditions, it it becomes a, a totally different ball game for you to uh, s- determine how you're gonna you're gonna set up your facility. As it relates to the wellness component, I think what you're speaking to a lot is about you know really the product suite, right? So yeah. if you're um, if we come in and we're creating, we have a new um, a new brand we're going to launch, we want to make sure that the um, the product suite in, within that brand is touching on things that, you know, other people aren't thinking of. I mean, you know, doing a lot of R&D, maybe working with universities and other health institutions in that city or state to determine what's, what's of need, you know, whether it's tinctures or water solubles. I mean, you know, edibles and, and vape pens, of course, they're, you know, they're going right. to sell and you're going to make them. It, it's a business, but you know, transdermal patches and lotions. I mean, I, you know, we can talk about, you know, as we talk later about kind of nutrition or, you know, just wellness overall. For me, I was impacted by a, a you know, a pretty rough knee injury a few yeah. years back. And I know, you know, cannabis lotion is really beneficial. And I can clearly see the difference between if I use a THC lotion that is, um, you know, has has THC in it rather than just a CBD lotion you can get it at Walmart or on right. Amazon. And that active THC within the lotion itself has a definite impact in terms of how it makes you feel. And uh, there's just so many products that I think we haven't even really started to tap into what that can look like in this space. But the wellness side is is really, really mind-blowing. There's so much potential. And then really another thing that's crazy about cannabis is people think about cannabis as you know, THC and CBD, but there's over 100 cannabinoids that we don't even really know about yet. And some of these, you know, that are, you know, CBN for sleep and CBG and even the acidic versions, THCA and CBDA, there are so many different um, studies that are just starting to be done because of the law that hasn't really allowed them to be conducted in the past, you know, 10, 15 years. And we're going to find out a lot more information and how they pair with things. And I won't get too technical. I'll stop here. But Mm -hmm. with terpenes and flavonoids and these type of things that if, you know, if they're not taken into consideration... And people just continue to go to the you know, dispensary and say, I want to buy uh, you know, the highest THC percentage flour. Right. Mm-hmm. That's like the equivalent. One of the things I like to you know, equate that to is like going to the liquor store and saying, I want to buy Everclear. and I'll pay the most money for Everclear. Well, who would do that? Everclear is right. disgusting. And yeah. if you drink that, it's probably not going to be good for you. I want to go and buy you know, maybe a really high quality wine from Sonoma that has been aging for 30 years and it's you know maybe gonna be actually good for me, right? Oh yeah. So it's, there's so many different nuances that I think can be touched upon.
0: Yeah, I think what I think of that, um, of like asking for the highest uh, THC percent, I think of almost like um, bootleg like 1920s alcohol, where it was like people wanted the highest liquor because it was so, they couldn't exactly. get whatever they wanted. And I think what I wanna see, and I'm sure this is gonna happen, and it's probably already happening in like California, but kind of it's like the fine wine of um, like cannabis, whether that's, you know, smoking the flower or just any of these other methods that you talked about. And I think that I'm really excited to see what that'll that'll bring because I think, I mean, we don't, I don't want to get into this too much, but I think there's a lot of evidence that it's much safer than alcohol, especially in a lot of different um, aspects, whether we're talking about, addiction or just like general safety i don't want to get into that too much sure, but I, easy. I think it's pretty irrefutable at this point yep one thing that i want to talk about is kind of the creativity side of you know we can just talk about cannabis or just any um kind of substance substances and we can even talk about i don't know i think of something like l-thanine um which i've been taking with my coffee and i kind of consider that like a its own blend of creativity, yep. boosting stuff. So I want to hear first about kind of the weed and creativity, but also just anything that yeah. you have in mind. Well, to
1: start off, I mean, I guess we're both, I mean, clearly we're both weird because I took mine today as well. My, yeah. uh, and I, I pronounce it l so I don't even know what the I right is I think way. you're saying it right. I don't know. One of us is, you know, right. Maybe we're probably both wrong. Um, but yeah, I think it's really interesting. I mean, you know, I think one of the things you're kind of hinting at is microdosing, right? And how, how important yeah. that is oh, yeah. Into, Utilization of cannabis, and I think you're you're spot on. I mean, both of us listen to, you know, Bulletproof podcasts, and yeah. you know, you'll hear, you know, people guests on there talking about cannabis now, which is pretty cool, right? Yeah. And even Dave Asprey himself is is pretty is actually openly saying that he would be interested in kind of trying it out and seeing how it how right. it works for him. So, I think cannabis as a creative, um, you know, influence, I, I think is really really interesting. I, and again, I think it's one of those things where. At this point, yes, we can dabble and say, let's, you know, let's try, um, if, if you, maybe it's a tincture, you know, if you don't want to smoke, okay, let's try a tincture and let's do two milligrams. Let's keep it really light. And just and explain tinctures because I'm not sure if everyone
0: would do Absolutely them.
1: true. That makes sense. I wouldn't have known what a tincture yeah. was. Um, so tinctures are like a little, like it's an alcohol droplet, basically, that you can, you can take and usually administer it under your tongue. Um, so you kind of just you drop it under your tongue. Usually maybe it's three or four drops. You let it sit there for 30 seconds. It is very quick to absorb to absorb into your bloodstream Mm. so it's one of the most efficient quickest ways to receive the impacts of THC or CBD and it doesn't have the downside of like inhaling stuff into your lungs exactly yeah Yeah. so it's 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 a good it's a good alternative I mean I know like you know I know family members that have used it to help sleep and it's very helpful right Right. so I think T from a cannabis standpoint, I think you have THC and then you have CBD, which is obviously very. Everyone knows about CBD now right. at this point, the craze for calming. But it's yeah. true; it there are a lot of you know anxiety-reducing, calming qualities that um, that CBD brings to the table. I think cannabis. What's interesting is THC definitely can be very much. Um, yes, of course, it's mind-altering, right? It's a you know it's a psychoactive Substance, but if you do it in a low enough dosage. I think that it's really interesting to just kind of notice it. And it's it's one of the things we used to talk about uh, back when I was at Green Fox when I worked with some of my partners there was, you know, kind of start, start low, go slow. And you really mm-hmm. have that approach where you're you're going, you're gonna titrate is the word that we use to kind of titrate your dosage. Maybe you start with two and then you go to three milligrams and four and you find that amount. And once you hit that amount, that's good. Then don't go higher than that, right? Don't make because then your tolerance is gonna grow. And next thing you know, not only you're gonna be spending more money. But you're probably using more than you should be using. So I think finding that right dosage is really critical. And a lot of times people uh, that use cannabis maybe shouldn't be using, you know, need to be careful about how much, you know, how many drugs they're taking. Right. And it's, it's a good thing to be on that lower side of the spectrum. So I think whether it's writing, whether it's, uh, you know, putting on, you know, I mean, you're, for example, for your podcast, um, you know, cr- uh, directing movies, there's so many different elements that i think cannabis can be a real benefit for and and then you can even get into and, and i know we want probably don't want to talk too much about this but you look at what's going on in in a california i mean people are microdosing other things right it's not right. just cannabis at this point point. and um you know i i'm not saying that it's the right thing to do but whether you're talking about things like acid or even um you know mushrooms right now at this point there things are happening i mean you look at oregon who just decriminalized mm-hmm. Everything basically under yeah. the sun, mm-hmm. and it's pretty eye-opening to see what that looks like. I think cannabis has a potential to be on the less um, risky, less aggressive side of that that um, that spectrum. But at the same time, it's kind of helped pave the way for other plant medicine mm-hmm. to come on and not have to deal with the federal and the um, just the societal backlash of a lot of these other, that, you know, a lot of these other drugs have had to face. So there's a ton of potential there. We're yeah. just starting. And then again, the minor cannabinoids, I think you have, we don't even know yet. I mean, it's not oh, just yeah. THC
0: and CBD. Yeah, because I think one of my worries that, I mean, we're already seeing with um, kind of the CBD craze is this like ignorance of how many other things are a part of the plant. And I think we have a history just, the United States has a history of picking out one piece of a certain um, plant and saying, Oh, this is all we need. This is the thing that makes all the magic. And it's the whole plant extract. Um, the full I, spectrum effect, right? Yeah, exactly. That's what they, as they call it. Yeah. And I think, I mean, it even goes way back to um, the coca leaf because yep. I know, I think it's uh, somewhere in South America, they chew on that and it's like, Their altitude, it kind of prevents altitude sickness, but when you turn it and refine it into cocaine, then it becomes a very dangerous drug. Um, So I think there is this idea of like, and again, even alcohol, if you look at something like beer, obviously it's not the best thing in the world, but if you refine it and just take the alcohol, it becomes much more dangerous, like Everclear versus yep. beer. Exactly. Um, yeah. yeah. So yeah, I think
1: that's a great point. And I think with cannabis, I mean, you look at some of these products and the con- these different concentrates and they might be really good for, I mean, especially you look at some cancer patients that really need high THC doses to you know, help them with nausea and things mm-hmm. like that. And it's very beneficial, don't get me wrong. But some of these products you're seeing come on the adult use side some of these different, uh, extracts and, you know, whether it's dabbing, things like that. I mean, that's all that you're taking a lot of product really quickly and, um, in high, you know, high levels of THC and it can, yeah, it can really alter your mind. So I'm not going to sit here and say that, you know, this is a perfect product that, you know, suitable for everybody and you can go and, you know, just go to your dispensary, you know, when it, when they come when it comes online in your state and grab a 50 milligram edible and have a great day. No, I mean that, that could knock you out. I mean, oh, yeah. it very, very well could, Put you in a bad place so i think everyone needs to kind of take it and people i think are starting to realize this but they just need to take it slow and just you know use it, and it with your discretion think like uh like our grandpa always used to say everything in moderation right? right i think it's kind of a really really good saying um just in for everything in life
0: yeah i think that's a good um transition to kind of uh, one thing that i didn't get to talk about when i interviewed ryan is that that family dynamic the green family dynamic. Um, and I just wanted to hear, I mean, now we're coming up on Thanksgiving and Christmas and it's going to be the weirdest one yet. Cause we're not really going to be able to be there in person, but I just want to hear from your perspective, growing up as a green talking about the extended family. Um, what was that like? I mean, just kid to, by the time, uh, my sister and I were born, cause we're the youngest in the family, kind of, what was that like growing up with all the cousins and all that family?
1: Yeah. I mean, as, as you know, and as we talk about, I mean, I think it's the best, man. Like we have, we are so fortunate with what our, what our family has provided us. Um, you know, it's interesting, like my first six, seven years, I don't like the family. What I remember is just probably being spoiled by nanny and poppy and just kind of, you know, all the candy and soda I could ever imagine. Um, and, uh, as, as you experienced, you know, 10 years later or so, but, but yeah, just growing up at at their house and, you know, here in the County in St. Louis and, going over there for Sunday dinners, um, just being with all the cousins. I mean, you know, having 12 cousins, we, I, I think, I me and you have talked about it. It's, it really allowed us to really like, hone in on our communication skills, become really comfortable in social settings, kind of similar to like the team sport aspect almost where people say that really playing a team sport, whether it's hockey or baseball or football helps you kind of become a better leader in life. Mm-hmm. I think same thing with having a big family. And for me, fortunately, being the oldest cousin, I mean, it sounds cliche, but like my friends give me trouble all the time. Like it's, you know, like the family first cliche, but like I always, that was kind of always the mentality I took. You know, if the cousins wanted to hang, you know, if, if, I was usually hanging with my cousins, like mm-hmm. before I'd go and hang up with my friends. And I just felt very, fortunate to have such a big family and it started from the generation before us which started from the generation before oh, yeah. them and they kind of instilled in us this tradition of um of family and i think a lot of it was probably the, you know the italian the big italian family oh, yeah. and the great cooking and um yeah you know we were as poppy always said you know very we're very fortunate but we just i think got really lucky to grow up in a family that was this close and Sometimes I didn't, you know, growing up, I didn't realize that it wasn't normal. I thought everybody had, you know, this big of a family and did everything together. And then as I got older, it was, it was like, oh wow, this is, this is unique. Like most, most families aren't like this. And um, yeah, I think it really helped shape me. And I, you know, I know I've seen it shape you and just being able to be the oldest cousin has been awesome, and it's also been cool because it makes me feel younger. Like I, mm-hmm. I'm in my 30s now, and I still am able to hang out with you know someone your age and yeah. my other
0: younger cousins. I'm like, yeah, I still feel like I'm, you know, in my 20s. Right, it's nice, you know. Yeah, and I think, um, like, because on like my mom's side of the family, she had um, six siblings, so it was like both both of my parents had big families. But I think the difference with the Greens was that like seeing each other every Sunday and, you know, cause you know, my grandparents on my mom's side lived much farther away. We'd see them at holidays, but that was it. So I think it was very rare and especially going into the summers, you know, where it felt like we were there even more. Um, yeah. So that was a unique experience. And like you said, I kind of considered it normal Mm -hmm. and didn't realize it to be such a unique thing. Take it for granted. Yeah. Yeah. It was really interesting. But one thing, that you said in there well so you are the oldest cousin i'm curious do you think um that taught you some type of leadership having to be in that oldest cousin role or do you think it was more just like oh i'm one of the cousins did you think of yourself in that leadership role ever as a kid it's a good question um i never really
1: have reflected on it too much i've always been like i feel like even if it was whether it was cousins or like my so the first neighborhood i grew up in I've always been big into, I've always loved playing sports, and I was always, I was like the oldest kid in the neighborhood and kind of would get the games organized, and I feel like it just kind of always naturally happened that way, and as we both know, it's like the more you do things, the more they become commonplace. They don't seem as hard to do, Mm -hmm. and I think I just started doing it, And, and whether it was in the neighborhood with the friends or at Nanny and Poppy's with the cousins, it was organizing the games, it was telling people, hey, let's, you know, get off the couch and stop watching you know cartoons let's go you know play baseball or right. play hockey on the in the backyard like let's 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 go outside and i think uh that's just kind of how it came to be and i'm not necessarily i don't necessarily crave that leadership role but i feel like a lot of times it kind of just ends up in my lap i like i think it's probably more like the organizational things that i mm-hmm. that end up kind of ending up falling onto my plate and it's a good it's a good thing i i, I enjoy it but i think it definitely comes with being the oldest cousin and you guys are yeah. i mean our Our age gap is what, you know, twelve years. There Mm -hmm. are, you know, some cousins that are within three two, three years of me, which so it there it made it a little bit easier. I mean there were a lot of cousins that were that came right after me. Yeah. So yeah. But, yeah, the family the family was great, man. I think it truly shaped us. And, I mean, your dad, for example, like, he basically was my older brother. I mean, that's, oh, yeah. you know, with our age, our And I think he
0: it, still likes to think of himself as one of the trying cousins. to join this podcast, you know, right now. <laughs> yeah. So, uh,
1: yeah, so basically, you know, we used to go to, he'd take me to all the baseball games and hockey games. And, um, you know, it, it just it kind of is a perfect kind of example of, of the, right. how the family really, the family dynamic really just
0: shaped us. Yeah, I think one thing that's interesting about, The like green family dynamic being so big that you could play multiple roles where um, with you, you know, you were the the little brother to my dad, but kind of looked up to with all the cousins. And I think for myself, it was kind of my sister and I were kind of, you know, we would get babysat um, by nanny and poppy on the weekdays. But then when it came to like summers and it was me, Ryan Clay, it was like kind of that tight trio so there were, everyone kind of played different roles. Um, yep. And I, yeah, that's I think awesome. that was such a great thing. And I mean, even now, I feel like just the stories that I'm able to get and, you know, would love to turn into their own little, you know, stories or movies just with, I mean, there's just crazy stuff that happens with the Greens that's no, probably you, worth no its No, own you they podcast. probably will. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably worth its own yeah. podcast, or maybe it'll come out as a Purple Elephant film. <laughs> I'm sure it will. Um But okay, I kinda wanna transition um, back to, well, not necessarily the cannabis industry, but the sustainability stuff. Mm -hmm. Because I know that's probably uh, another one of the biggest parts of your identity. So I wanna hear how you got into that. uh, Like what kind of kicked off sustainability really matters and environmentalism really matters. And talk about kind of how you feel about it now, I guess. Yeah. You know it's interesting. I I
1: wasn't. It was one of those things where I wasn't like looking for it, right? And and I think that's how things happen sometimes. I was living in DC, 2000, probably 13 or 14. So I was I was you know still in my mid mid to late 20s, and was really at that point just kind of like I told you with the corporate life. I was very happy just going to work, probably drinking more than I should. You know, having a good time on the weekends, and just didn't feel the need to like find different hobbies, but. In D.C., actually, it happened to be, it still happens to be, I believe, there are the most LEED-accredited buildings. And what mm. LEED stands for, if you're not familiar, is leadership in energy and environmental design. So it's buildings that are, have a certain accreditation, mm-hmm. um, the way they're built with... Just very energy efficient. Very energy efficient. They, they, you know, they get their input products from you know, maybe a forest in, in the near vicinity, things mm. like that, right? And I started noticing that all over the city, as I would, you know, take the metro to work and go to different client sites to work. And I really got interested in it because not only, I've always been interested in architecture and I realized I wasn't going to get into it because it was too much math uh, growing right. up. But I, yeah. and of course, ended up being a finance major. So I don't know how much <laughs> different that was, but I, I noticed how cool the architecture looked in a lot of these buildings. And then I started kind of reading about it a little bit and I thought, wow, this is awesome. Like, kind of like cannabis. I mean, we all know that climate change is a critical uh, I mean one of the most important issues in, in our time right now and I ended up going to a uh, I think it was a, a, a seminar or some type of event free event in DC put on by the USGBC which is the Green Building Council the mm-hmm. their region in, in DC and it was just fascinating everyone was much smarter than me had a ton of understanding there were a lot of them were architects or engineers and I was just a, a consultant that um, you know probably should have had more understanding of what I was doing, but again, was kind of just doing, doing what it took to, uh-huh. uh, you know, get by day to day. And I, I didn't really understand what lead was. And I just took kind of started taking a, a prerogative to kind of really research it a little bit more. And it was super interesting to see how in depth lead was and the different, you know, uh, different criteria and belts they had to gain, uh, accreditation for and what the USGBC was doing in the community volunteer work. And I, I, I just kind of got involved so I joined the USGBC a long story to say basically I joined the USGBC around then 2014 or so Mm -hmm. and I never really went like 110% on it I was kind of like it was always in the background but I always was following it reading articles listening to podcasts and that kind of has continued to be honest you know Mm -hmm. with you I mean I actually came back to St. Louis got into cannabis Eventually it was like okay, well, cannabis has a lot of you know there's a lot of uh, parallels to be drawn here between sustainability and cannabis. Oh, yeah. So started researching that, learned about a uh, institution called the Resource Innovation Institute, and they're based in Portland. They're mm-hmm. actually the only they're the only nonprofit or really only organization at all that's focused on specifically sustainability within cannabis. Okay. so they can they actually will 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 rate how how efficient your growth facility is, will put different um, you'll get different certifications based on that. your cannabis will be you know certified in a specific way. And again it seems maybe a little bit out there for some. but I truly believe that our society, especially as we get younger and younger in in terms of you know the the younger generation continues to get more more into business, yeah. That's going to be important, right? They're going to want to buy the products yeah. that are craft, that are organic, that are grown efficiently, that are looking out for our planet. And so I just got I've just gotten more into it over the years, and recently uh, just joined something called Green Schools Quest here in St. Louis, which is pretty interesting. I don't even know if I've told you about it, but it's a it's basically it's the the St. Louis version of the U.S. Green Building Council, and they work with local public schools to help them integrate sustainability into their curriculum. Oh, that's cool. And I'm working with a public school in North City. And this art teacher there, she is, and I'm really just getting started here. So, you know, if she somehow listens to this podcast, she's gonna be like, well, he doesn't really help that much. (laughs) Um, So I'm just getting going, but she is really an awesome person. And what she's creating is like a, a sound garden in a vacant lot next to the school. So it's just this open, vacant lot. She's planting a, there's a bunch of plants that she's putting up in there. She's turning it into like an education center with a lot of lot. It's basically a live garden mm-hmm. where there's going to be like, you know, sent sections for music, sections for art, and then just places for, you know, people, for these kids to play, you know, uh, elementary, elementary school, schoolers right. to just plant and be just kind of immerse themselves in nature, which to me, long winded answer. I know at the end here, the interconnectivity between social equity and sustainability is really mind-boggling right now. It's so important. We need to really bridge that gap. There's so many people living in impoverished areas that don't have access to, you know, clean air, clean water, clean, you know, uh, high-quality food, and and we need to start working really hard at how we can get to that. And I think this is a this is a great program for that. So I'm just I'm trying to I'm still dabbling in it. I'm not. I haven't like a hundred percent dove in and said. I'm going to spend you know all of my time on it because right. clearly I'm still in the cannabis space, but I have a, as you can tell, I just rambled. So there's a huge passion in my heart for oh, sustainability.
0: Yeah. yeah. And I think um, like we kind of touched on at the beginning of this, you can integrate um, that sustainability culture into what you're doing with the, the cannabis industry. So I think, um, I mean, like you said, you haven't dove fully into that kind of nonprofit side, but I think, it's it's still a part of everything that you're doing right now. It yeah it is.
1: I mean just to, real quick, just to jump in. I mean for on the retail side, for uh, you know, in, uh, in particular in cannabis, because I touched on the grow side, or even the pro the manufacturing side. I mean you look at labels, right, and all the in packaging and, and your you know your go uh, your containers that you take your product out in. I mean people need to be more understanding of the environment when they're they're doing these things, right? So let's use, let's use environmentally friendly packaging. Let's, you know, let's make sure that our, our facilities, we incorporate LED lighting, you know, let's have, let's make sure clean air, there's, there's, maybe there's light, let's make sure we have blinds that are automated so we can really optimize the light coming into the facility. So we don't need to use as much energy and, you know, our energy consumptions can be, consumption can be lower in the, in the dispensary. So there's so many things that we can take into consideration that apply to every vertical within the supply chain of cannabis.
0: Yeah, right. And I think, um, I mean, just when I think of cannabis dispensaries, I automatically think of, oh, it has to be kind of environmentally friendly. It's, it's weed. It's, yeah, it's quit. Yeah. And I think, I'm, sh- I'm sure I'm not alone. Um, having never been into a dispensary, I just have that positive stereotype, which I think could be, almost destruct or not destructive, but prevent actual, um, sustainable change because I'm like, Oh, it already seems like it's environmentally friendly. Right. It's Um, green. Yeah. yeah, And so one thing that I want to touch on with that is if I think of something like, you know, or organic foods and organic cannabis. So I think it's like, there's always going to be a group that cares about that. There's always going to be a consumer population that cares about organic versus conventionally grown. But how do you think that gap can be bridged for people who are just like, I want to get high or, you know, just even in more responsible use, like, you know, I'm doing this for pain. Why should they care about organic versus not? Right. It's a great question. Um, so the first thing that comes to my
1: mind, and I think you, you, I think you know about this too, is just like regenerative soil, right? You know, regenerative yeah. agriculture. So I think when you think about growers that are very conscious and they're more craft, they're going to do things like you know no till soil, regenerative, you know, regenerative practices within their grow. But again, it is hard. I mean, if you look at these some of these, some of these dispensaries and some of my business experience, as much as you can try to focus on education and you know, promoting the the most quality products. At the end of the day, people everyone has to come in, they all have their own budgets. They're all different. And some people just need to find the best deals. And ultimately a lot of times the the most efficiently grown that maybe have the most and again, the industry has gotten a pretty done a pretty good job with pesticide use. So I'm not gonna say it's very dangerous what they're buying, but uh-huh. it doesn't have maybe the most attention paid to something like organic or regenerative soil or things yeah. like that. So I think ultimately what it's going to come down to is it's just going to it, – it's time. I hate to say that, it, it, but at the end of the day, it's really – it's going to, to take time. People need to realize that doing it the right way um, and really focusing on on quality over just efficiency and blasting out as much product as possible is going to be what the, the you know the end goal of what the patient wants. And until yeah. we get to that point, it's really just going to continue to be – who wants to pay a higher price? Who cares more? Who wants to go to Whole Foods and buy their, you know, buy their grass-fed beef versus who wants to go to, you know, um, to shop and save and, and get it for $4 cheaper? Right. And it's an industrial grade, right? And, and we, we both know about how, how that works. And it's um, it's tough because it's people, the education isn't there. So a lot of it, I think, is on the grower to work with the um, the retailer on how to educate the masses. Mm. and maybe find ways over time to slowly bridge that gap in pricing because at the end of the day dollars talk and yeah. until those prices start to get closer and closer people are going to choose the lower price product every day when they're on a budget versus the product that's organic or right. grass-fed with you know beef. Yeah. And so it, it just it, that's what it's going to come down to it's time and money
0: yeah um i wanted to make the connection between like lead certified buildings and kind of just anything environmentally friendly, whether that's organic foods or, um, organic cannabis, I think food has the advantage of being able to make the claim. Even if, you know, people may disagree with me, there is some evidence that it's better for you and not just better for the world, but you can take tangible, um, value from it. Say, um, I I think specifically of something like eggs where, you can tell based on the color of the yolk how much nutrients are in it. And usually the 60 cent eggs don't have as much as yes. a little bit more expensive ones. Right. I think with lead certified buildings, there's not a ton of incentive to get it besides the person already being very environmentally conscious and caring about that. So do you think is there something kind of being implemented to have a reward system or do you think there needs to be something it's like that? It's a great that?
1: question. Um, I would, so this is something that I probably haven't really delved into as much in the last couple of years as I was when I first started getting into it. So if you interview me again in a couple of years, I promise I really am trying to get my lead certification, uh, my green associate. And when I get that, I probably will have a much better answer, but mm-hmm. I will tell you the, one of the biggest selling points for you know uh, when you're designing a building to have lead incorpor- to incorporate different lead initiatives within your build out is it's over the long run right you're not going to see the payout on the front end I mean it, it, you're going to spend more money 100 percent hands down just like you do for eggs right well you pay you know 250 for for a dozen eggs instead of you know 60 cents 80 cents And you know what, maybe in, you know, 10 years you're healthier than, you know, but you, you know, so you're going to save money on health insurance, but you're not going to save money in the short run. And it's kind of the same thing in, you know, in in that, in the lead, in the lead side with buildings and even as it relates to cannabis, where you may not see the initial benefit, you're going to have to convince, and if you're going out and you may need to raise, you know, 10 or $15 million to build your, you know, 50,000 square foot facility in this new market, well, You can build it cheaply and not have very many sustainable initiatives in your build-out, but over the long run, your energy efficiency is going to continue to decline, and you're going to see a a very inverted uh, graph when you look at your energy, energy efficiency. So it's a question of, do you want to spend more up front for a better payout in the long run, or are you looking to just be very cheap on the front end, Save that money, and maybe you're trying to sell your business. And if you're trying to sell your business, then you know what I can maybe see what you're doing. But if you're a steward of the environment and you're trying to look out for the quality, even the quality of your products, for example, with LED lights, they impact you know uh, the the um, how much product your output you're going to get yeah. from a from a flower standpoint. You know your yields are much higher with specific lights versus cheaper lights. And it's just a business decision at the end of the day. You need to decide: do yeah. you care about the long run, the future, or do you just really focus on the present? And I think that ultimately, the way I look at that is kind of almost how business is starting to shape out and to shape in, in terms of is it shareholder value or is it stakeholder value? Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, we're, I think we're starting to get to that point where we're moving away from shareholder value. It's not all about the stock price. It's all—it's more now about the entirety, right? The interconnectivity of the business. It's going to touch you know, your end consumer. It's going to touch your employees. It's going to touch, yeah, your shareholders. And everyone needs to be impacted in a way where it, it may not benefit one of the three the most. It's going to be a
0: little bit more evenly distributed. And I think that's something that's really important. Yeah. And I think that will also just happen naturally now that social media can be used to say, What the heck is going on with this business? These practices are cruel or um, inefficient or horrible for the environment, whatever it may be. Everyone has that microphone that they can use, which is a good thing and a bad thing, but I think in this case, it's very good. I think you're spot on. I think social
1: media is, you know, it can obviously be a detriment and it can, you know, it can cause anxiety, it can really hamper productivity, but at the same time, it can bring to light. Incredibly important information to the yeah. masses. So yeah, I think when it's used in the right way, it's going to be a, it's a, it has been already a great tool in in terms of you know um,
0: environmentally friendly investments. They're really starting to tick up. Right oh now. yeah, and but one thing that I wanted to talk about, and then we can kind of move on from the the lead. I think there has to be a short term incentive, not for the money, because obviously the money won't be there but i think there has to be something besides just 10 years down the road and to bring it to something something that i'm relating it to i think of myself in like my nutrition and health practices if i was only thinking about how eating healthy would impact me for, impact me 10 years down the road to be honest i wouldn't be able to stick with it mm-hmm. and the only reason i am able to stick with it is because I feel the short-term pain if I eat something that really doesn't sit well with me, like gluten or dairy, and literally the the kind of selfish desire for appearance. My skin broke out like crazy in high school, and it was changing my nutrition and health habits that changed that, and staying with those habits keeps that short-term pain off of me, like it, literally in the, the purest sense off my skin. Right. Um, so I think, I'm just curious, do you think that there can be anything like that? Um, Because I think hotels are the place where I see LEED certified buildings a lot. And obviously, I don't know too much about it. But do you think that or do you think there are any ideas to kind of create short-term pain? Not intentionally, not the government twisting um, a business's arm, but that would really the consumer, the end user would really love it. Do you kind of get what I'm yeah Yeah, for sure. So the first thing I think about, too, I and mean, it's a great point, I mean, on the
1: nutritional side, yeah, there's, you know, if it wasn't for me feeling better by eating the way I do, I wouldn't do it either. I mean, even if it, I know it's going to it's gonna impact me in the long run, I'm right. going to go out and I'm going to get that cheeseburger all the time and I'm just going to indulge and, you know, of course, still have it, you know, from time to time you're going to treat yourself. But, yeah, I think when it relates to lead, you're, you're thinking about, what you're thinking about really makes a lot of sense. I, one of the things that I think is is really really apparent on the front end is air quality. And I think when you're talking about a new building, and you're gonna you're gonna really find that your air quality is so much better. And most of the time, we don't realize, right, that the air we're breathing in is truly impacting us. We may just, oh, yeah. oh why do why do I always have a sinus infection? Why do I always, you know, why am I always feeling like I have a cold or a cough, and you know, I'm not sleeping well? And it, it's it's due to the fact that you're just breathing in bad air day in and day out, mm-hmm. whether you go to the office, you're driving, you're in pollution and you know with traffic, you're in pollution. And I think that man, it's it's hard to say because I' I'm not a huge fan of I want the government to just you know have a huge hand in everything, but climate change is something where we have to get there has to be government that gets involved, right? I yeah mean, we just need we need involvement. I mean, we need the government to step in and say, all right, businesses we're going to incentivize you to really make some significant changes. And I'm not all for some of these massive companies, especially these oil companies where it's, you know, all these carbon offsets, right? Where I think it's like, it's almost like a game, right? Oh, as long as they have all these different carbon offsets, they can do whatever the hell they want and continue to, you know, uh, use all these fossil fuels. And it's like, no, let's, let's find a way to truly incentivize companies to Clean the environment because they have the capacity to do it, and there's mm-hmm. ways to make money. You're not going to make as much money, but figure out a way, right? And I think that 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 relates all the way down to just a, a building itself. I mean, you're going to see your your the quality of your tenants' lifestyles, whether it's you know it's a corporate office, whether it's a grocery store, your people coming in and out, your food quality is going to be better in a better. I mean, look at Aldi; they're they're building all these new. Um, yeah, they're putting all these, Yeah, we have one down. They just they're, here, they're yeah. renovating all of them, right? So there's reasons they're doing this and they're spending are, are those money. being lead certified? I don't know if they're lead certified. I'd probably have to do But something. they're probably more energy efficient. 100% regardless. more energy efficient. You can tell the lighting is, you know, their LED lighting mm-hmm. and night So I just think it's you're you're spot on. I don't have a perfect answer for you and I don't think any unfortunately. I don't think anybody does right. at this point, but we need to figure out a way to um to to make people Feel like they there is a reason to, to go that route, and I don't think that we have that yet. I mean, I think it still is trying to trying to understand the long term benefit, but also finding a glimmer of okay, I need to do this because I'm going to feel better. And a lot of times it's try it's action, right? We have to yeah. we talk we, me and you talk about this. You know, you to to have courage. You know, you a lot of times you need to act to, yeah. to realize you need to you know to, to get courage. You have to take that first action. And for you, that's what it is that you did. Yeah. You stopped eating the food those foods. Your skin cleared up you felt better your stomach felt better that mind body connection just totally changed for you and you you know i mean i don't know man like just to see your transformation right. since you started that i think you can really yeah. you
0: can tie that into that but so, i would i would almost argue that's the second step and that the first step would be awareness because if i related back to the, it the the acne thing i was taught by my dermatologist that it's entirely hormonal which is a big part of um and I'm not going to get into it, the science here, but it's partially hormonal, but that diet has nothing to do with it. And now, I mean, you look up any post and it'll tell you there are a lot of foods that almost every time will trigger um, acne if you're really sensitive to it. But I didn't know that. So the first step was realizing that, oh, um, you know, dairy and gluten are really messing me up. And then realizing, oh, most people don't have um, a certain enzyme to break down a protein in milk and it's not actually normal for us and then you do a little bit of digging and realize that you know milk was because there were like so many cows and so much dairy they didn't know what to do with it so they had to come up with these campaigns to sell it and it's it crazy. wasn't yeah in the best interest like the fact that milk is known for protein is a total propaganda technique right, right which i'm not going to get in any further yeah, than that
1: we're, we're, another podcast is on nutrition right right we'll, yeah we'll get to that I, I totally agree with you real quick to end that thought um i forgot where it was where i heard it but on a podcast i'm sure uh, an acronym aia um and it, you're 100 percent right awareness does become come before action the, the acronym is awareness initiation action so first you become aware of what you need to do what you need to change set the plan out in in front of you initiate what that's going to look like how you're going to do it and then act
0: yeah and i think um this is the perfect transition kind of to the final aspect i think of the final major aspect of your identity and um, the one thing that i think we really resonate with each other which is kind of our self-development um journeys so i wanted to hear First of all, and I think you touched on it a little bit earlier with your knee. If you could talk about that, if that was kind of the tipping point of mm-hmm. yourself, was it? Wasn't. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, Absolutely, so I think yeah. I want to hear kind of that transformation to what happened, what changed, and what you're doing now. Okay. Okay. Um, so, well, I guess, like, you know, starting off,
1: the knee uh, ties it back to the family aspect. So yeah. we have a, as you're aware of, we have our a yearly Turkey Bowl game. Um, it is a touch football game, <laughs> uh, Sad, sadly for me to say. But I was playing in 2016, my first year back to St. Louis after moving home from D.C. And I, at the time, was... Probably 25 pounds heavier, mostly, you know, from weightlifting and eating a lot of protein, you know, really focusing on, I wouldn't say wellness, but just on gaining weight and um, not enough of stretching and, you know, cardio and things that are really important that I focus on now Mm -hmm. and playing football and I went up for a pass and I landed down on my right knee and I'd heard it before playing hockey uh, and kind of tweaked it. I knew it wasn't 100%, I, I was wearing a, um, a brace on the knee,
0: uh-huh. and I
1: just felt it pop, I felt it pop. The, yeah. Just terrible pain, went down to the ground, ended up tearing my ACL, MCL meniscus, so they call it the terrible triad, so just wow. right away I knew it was uh, it was game over. So went, you know that was a fun Thanksgiving. Uh, spent the next, uh, I was actually about three weeks out from moving to my own place, because I ended up moving with my parents when I came home from D.C. Uh-huh. for about five or six months. And so that was pretty frustrating. Uh, my mom, I felt like I was in middle school again. My mom had basically elementary school. My mom had yeah, to do yeah. everything for me. Very grateful for it. But it was a, quite the challenging, uh, f, you know, really six months of rehab. And after that, I it still took me a couple years to truly get into some of these things that I do now. But uh, I just started realizing the importance of, you know, of stretching, of diet, of, You know, starting a little, you know, look into yoga a little bit, and and, you know, those types of uh, more holistic uh, alternatives than I had ever considered before. And in I think it was 2018, I was in, I was going on a trip to Chicago, and a buddy of mine, uh, Joey Joey Goon, had told me about a, um, a conference in Ohio. And it was called Front Row Summit. It was uh, Front Row Foundation. They're basically kind of like a Make-A-Wish Foundation. And they do, they, they basically, similar things that the Make-A-Wish Foundation does, but they're just mm. on a smaller scale and they really are very, very focused on each individual recipient of their, of their award. And it's just a beautiful foundation. But they had a summit where it was, they, it basically doubles as their yearly annual conference. And mm. what they do is they bring about 200 people together and they brainstorm ideas for their future, the year ahead, how they can incorporate different initiatives, become a, you know more uh, effective organization. And he told me to come, and I decided to go. And one of the speakers that was there was Hal Elrod, and I know you're you're aware of Hal Elrod. He's um, he's you know he he came up with the the uh, term the Miracle Morning, which is you know something that is become pretty well adopted across the world now he's, he's well known he's actually come out with his first movie here in a few weeks and he's he has multiple books miracle morning is his you know well most well-known book and hearing him speak story's crazy i won't go all the way into it but you know guy went through you know life-threatening car accident where he actually like literally his heart stopped beating and people they he thought they thought he was dead to cancer beating cancer you know a very very serious version of cancer serious form of cancer and just be, ended up becoming this very inspirational speaker, wrote a book. And The Miracle Morning is really just a, it's a routine how to start your day. And it just, it's its, it's pretty simple, right? It's it, And I started incorporating it and put my own spin on it. But instead of waking up and checking your phone and sitting in bed and hitting snooze until the last moment that you can possibly get up, you know, rushing out of bed, hopping in the shower and, and going to work, you get up early. You start your day early. You. You know, you for me it's you know I read, I journal, um, I say some affirmations, uh, do a little yoga, meditate. You know, maybe spend an hour or so doing that. And you know, I'm not saying I'm perfect, but for the most part, I at least incorporate you know some of those aspects of my routine every day. And it's pretty crazy. It's definitely made a huge difference in how I feel, um, the confidence I have going into day in. You know, just from a day in day out standpoint how I feel my body, my mind gives me the energy I need and it's been just that really kickstarted my journey into the you know into this uh, the self-development world that is actually just eye-opening <laughs> there's so much yeah. there's so much out there right there's not enough you don't have enough time in the day if you wanted to grasp it all you wouldn't be able to work.
0: Oh yeah and I think um, one of the issues I faced when I first got into it kind of late high school because I think, My, you know, like I talked about, my journey into self-development was a little bit more superficial to start, whereas you had the the leg injury and it was like, you know, I really need to figure this out. I need to figure out this exercise. Yep. For me, when I really started getting into the books, I mean, first of all, it got me into reading. Yes. Which I hadn't done. Same here. (laughs) um, Since, like, elementary school. Right. But one thing that I realized early on when I, you know, I was reading all this stuff. And it was all great information, just all these different things. I still didn't have the the confidence to implement it. So I was reading all these books and I was learning all this great stuff. And I never talked about it. In fact, I was like scared, not scared, nervous to talk about it. And I just kind of kept it hidden. Um, but then I think the tipping point for me was coming to college and having – a stronger group of friends where, I mean, there's no denying that high school is very superficial, but when, in a lot of ways, not every way, but once you get to college, especially a big college, because, I mean, I'm at Mizzou and you did go there, it's so big that you have to find your own pocket. Mm -hmm. It's not like there's a hierarchy of popularity that is how it is kind of in high school. And so when I found that group, it was comedy for me. Yep. And I think that is like an insane confidence builder, um, which ended up me being able to do stand up. And that was like, boom, now I can. Anything's easy. Yeah, way. I yeah. can up run in- around in my underwear and right. be fine. Right. Like just that insanity. And I think it was something that I never lost because, you know, if I go back to old home videos, I was doing kind of those performances and little skits and fun things. Um, You know, when I was that little kid and it was kind of like conditioned to not be ashamed of it, but just to hide it or Mm -hmm. not try. Um, And so I'm grateful for the the comedy group and just being able to be in college and just share this stuff. Mm -hmm. So I felt like I had gotten caught in the trap of learning everything, but not having a way to implement it. Do you think you've, that was long winded, uh, but do you think you've ever run into that where it's like, I'm learning so much, but is it really useful to me or have you been able to read every book and implement every book? No, That's great. The question's great. And of course, when you went through
1: that uh, question or your, you know, your, your couple minutes there, I have like three other thoughts that hit, yeah. hit my mind. First, really quick before you get to that. It's so interesting from the subconscious, subconscious standpoint, because Like you hinted at the end, do you remember everything? Some of the things I definitely don't remember. But a lot of things you said actually hit me is these are things I've read about recently. So I want to touch on real quick. Yeah. So subconsciously, the subconscious piece I think is really interesting. I think I sent you that that YouTube video, the Bruce Lipton piece uh, recently. Yeah. And he talks about how before you're seven, your subconscious brain isn't isn't, um, completely formed until you're seven years old. So all these things you're learning – you're just basically building your brain up. You know, your 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 computer is being built and built and built until you're seven years old. And once you're seven, and I'm sure that's not very 100 percent accurate, but around seven years old, mm-hmm. your brain's built up. And at that point, now if you need to change your subconscious mind, you have to work a lot harder to do that. You know, what and you basically you can either tap into hypnosis or repetition. And you have to really, for you, it was repetition, right? You started doing stand up comedy, yeah. and that's what it took. You went, and you did stand up comedy, you did stand up comedy, and eventually. It made you realize, well, why am I afraid of people's opinions? You yeah. Know, what, what is that fear of people's opinions? What is that? Why is it holding me back? Okay, it's gone. I've done this enough times. It doesn't really matter anymore. The other thing that you said that I thought was really interesting was it, how you become a byproduct of who you s- surround yourself with, right? Mm-hmm. And I, and I, the quote is, you know, that you're you are a byproduct of the five people you spend the most time yeah. with. And Jim I brain. find that to be yeah. And I find that to be so true and it's it's so interesting because I have you know I'm one of my biggest flaws I would say is probably that I have a hard time saying no and I maybe stay connected to too many people Mm -hmm. but because I just I'm I'm a people person I like I love all my friends I love all my family but I've noticed more and more in the last you know year to be really more hyper aware of who I'm spending time with because I can tell that the energy that they're giving me, it it shows in who I am. And if I if I'm feeling negative energy, I don't have a desire to spend as much time with that person because it's gonna make me a worse person in the, in the long run. So I, I really feel that that's awesome that you found that group at Mizzou. I totally agree with you. It's a huge school. Yeah. You need to find that subsection, that small group. So I'm I'm proud of you for that. And I think for me it's it's still a learning lesson. I'm still trying to find that group. But you know, even spending time here on doing something like this, I think is this is a great use of my time. And this mm-hmm. is how you grow as a person is spending time with people that you, you know, maybe not necessarily see eye-to-eye with all the time, but right. you share common ideals and morals with. Now, to answer your question, after uh, sidestepping that for a couple of <laughs> minutes. It's okay, my,
0: my question is pretty long. Yeah, ahead. yeah, yeah.
1: So, so, yeah, to go along with that. Um, it Man, I... So, it's really hard to remember everything you you know, you pick up, Uh you know, whether it's a book, a podcast. I mean, for me, sometimes with a podcast, I listen to it. I'm like, oh my God, that was the, that was the best podcast I've ever heard. I got to share that with Sean, you know, I know you remember me sending you podcasts once a week or whatever that is, but it's, it's so amazing that if I don't listen to it a couple of times, I probably will forget about it, you know, within two, three months for the most part, I'll remember some of the premise of it. Mm -hmm. I feel that you just like, you know, the, who you're spending time with and what your career is as much as it's good to dabble and have a lot of different things going on, you really still need to find something that you are truly passionate about and give it the majority of your energy. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the same thing, whether it's a book, like I couldn't personally have three or four books I'm reading at once. It just, that doesn't fit me. If I was doing that, I wouldn't be picking up enough information. I wouldn't be comprehending what I'm reading. I'd rather crank out a book, finish it, start another book mm-hmm. than have, you know, be reading three or four at one time. So I think it's, uh, it's, 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 it's a challenge in the self-development world, and I think you just need to figure out what works, for be- what works best for you. Recently, for me, one of the things I've realized is if I'm working on an important task or project for work and I'm listening to a podcast that I'm really interested in, that's not going to work. I need to put on oh, yeah. you know, chill hop. I need to put on binaural beats, some type of you know, very low-key, lo-fi you know, music that I'm not going to have any understanding of what the lyrics are. And yeah. I'm just going to focus to it. So you have to find what works for you and everybody's different, but it is very easy. And I don't know if I'm hundred percent answering your question, but it's so easy to get distracted. And I think with what's available to us, just with technology right now, we more than ever have to be extremely picky about what we're consuming. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling that to you, who's putting out, you know, how much content this guy's putting out yeah. here. So <laughs> people have to be, you have to, you know, you have to, give people what they want to see. And and I think that's, you know, something that you're probably dealing with on a day in day out basis. Right. Yeah. It's, 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 it's tough,
0: but yeah, it's, it's never ending. There's so much to choose from. Yeah. And I think, um, like you said, you know, you have to crank through one book. I'm kind of the opposite way where sometimes I'm like, I don't want to read this book. I'm going to try something else. Um, so I think we, we have different philosophies on that. But I think for me, what you were saying earlier with like the, the repetition to break out of something. Um, yes. I, I think that really applied to me because I was kind of going against the current with you. Like you said, um, kind of the five people you were surrounding yourself with when I was living at home in high school, it was, you know, my family and kind of my close high school friends, but mostly my family. Um, and I think I definitely had to go against the current to kind of be like, almost embrace the identity was like nerve wracking for me. Um, cause I think changing a huge part of your identity is always going to be nerve wracking. But I feel like I've been able to do it a couple times now where I'm like, you know, I'm going to start doing stand up comedy, whether or not you think I have been a funny person in high school, I'm going to start making films, whether or not you have ever made a film before. And it's like, does the identity come before taking the action or the other way around, you right. know, the chicken or the right. egg? Um, what's your opinion on that? What well, comes first? it's interesting hearing you say that because
1: I think about myself too in that situation and you talk about family. And again, I think one of the, as much as we've talked about the blessings of having such a close family, I think it can also be a curse, right? Yeah. I mean, I think we more than probably most um, are aware. I think uh, be, having such a big family that's so close, I am probably overly aware about many things. And I think that Maybe having too much of a care about what my family thinks right. is probably something that's maybe not held me back because I don't want to put any. I want to take accountability on my end. It's it's not anybody else's fault that I didn't yeah. accomplish something aside from my own. But you, we, ha, you know, you have that kind of underlying fear of others' opinions, and you yeah. know, if it's family, it's going to be a lot higher than if it's you know maybe a, a friend of a friend. You're not going to care as much, and um, so I think it's really interesting that you you drew that parallel. Um man, it's
0: ask what was the what was the exact question again? I wanna make sure I give you the answer that's that you're looking for here. So let's say um for self development, like I consider myself kind of you know, the term is like self development junkie, but just that I care about that aspect of my identity. Right. Was it that I had or for you, was it that you have to embrace the identity before you take action before you start reading books and telling people about it or the other way around where you have to read all this books. You have to know all the information before you can start calling yourself something. Okay. That's so I you got it. Got it, it. Got it. Yeah. Again, I'm getting distracted because I'm thinking of things. No, you're talking. good. So
1: I, that's actually really eye-opening for me because I think I'm maybe too much of, I need to figure it out before I become that. Like, mm. and, and I think a perfect example of that is we've been talking about it a lot during this podcast is sustainability, right? I think I feel like I need to become this expert. I need to, you've heard me say on this. I need to get my sustainability, my lead green associate certification right. before I can talk. You know, edu- uh, sound educated on this topic. What you're saying is, I actually completely agree with. You need to take that step. You need to act. You you can be aware and you can understand that you may not be the smartest person in the room right now, but take that step forward. Oh, yeah. You know, and and again, this is something we'll probably talk about. Hopefully, again, we talked about you know maybe doing a book review, but. The book I'm reading right now, Fear is Fuel, expand your fear frontier. You know, put yourself through it. The Mm -hmm. more you put yourself through something, the better you're going to get at it. And if you just sit here and say, I'm going to keep learning and I'm going to read up on, you know, for me, one of the things is public speaking. I'm going to keep learning and reading about public speaking and trying to figure out the best tips and how to not get nervous. Well, if you don't go and do it, I can tell you you're not going to get better. And if, you know, you're going to continue to think in your head that you may know how to get through it, but unless you're actually putting yourself in the fire, good luck. So oh, yeah. I would say I probably fall more on the, I need to find a way to get better at it before I do it.
0: And I'm trying to become more of just do it. Yeah. I think, um, I just want to keep on the the public speaking and the fear of public speaking. I think to relate that to the five closest people to you, let's say, um, it, you know, it's family where, You know, the five closest people to you may be fearful of public speaking, but they don't even consider it like something they want to do. Right. So, and that makes it very hard. Like for myself, the healthy eating stuff. I mean, yeah, they they eat unhealthy, but they don't strive to change their entire lifestyle. So I'm wondering, and I have a theory for this, but I want to hear if you have anything. Where do you think the desire to do something that no one in your close circle is doing comes from?
1: It's a great question. Um, again, just to really bring something up really quickly that I thought it, 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 it reminds yeah. me of something. So I had, I do like every once a week or so, I'll do like a private yoga session with my friend. She's now in uh, Herman, Missouri. So it's a oh. zoom session, but we were talking about this to an extent about awareness, right. And people that you know, what yoga does a lot of times, which I haven't really spoken to in my terms of the self-development journey, but it's uh-huh. been a big piece of my, of this journey is it, it it really helps you focus on breath and awareness and, and as beautiful as that is, and I'll never forget how relaxed I felt after my first, you know, ever yoga class or my hot yoga class, right? Uh-huh. I was like, oh my God, I've got to figure it out. I now know how to, calm myself right and then you realize two hours later you're stressed out again (laughs) it's like oh shit like here we go this is not you know this is uh this is this is just where I was before I took this class so I think it's really it's really hard to to pinpoint exactly uh, where where that like where to draw that line I mean I think that for me I just like the more the older I get, the more I realize that one of your, you know, uh, videos from this week, the Mono Oare, which I told you, I love that, mm-hmm. you know, this awareness of impermanence is I realize that everything in life is so fleeting and there's so much out there. Like there's just so much to grab. And mm-hmm. I just, as much as, yeah, I can sit in my little, you know, cubicle and just do what I want to do. And. Uh, or you know, and just kind of live my life and come home and and feel like I'm happy and not stressed I'd rather be a little bit more stressed and try to reach for the stars, knowing that I took a chance because mm-hmm. the world is so big and i've had fortune I've been fortunate enough to whether it's travel through my former jobs to see some of the world and, yeah. and with the technology we have and social media I mean I see what's out there. I want that like I want to go grab that I've um, always been. I don't want to consider, I don't want to say ADHD because I've never been diagnosed, but I think I have some of that. Uh-huh. I have very much, I always need to try something new. Mm-hmm. I have always strived to kind of do something that may be beyond my comfort zone, and even if it's something that may to others seem like it's, well, if you're stressed about public speaking, well, don't public speak. Well, you know what? I'm going to, I have to public speak. You know, yeah. I, I'm if the way, the person I am, whether it's giving a best man speech at a wedding or, you know, going to raise capital for a cannabis company and speaking in front of 15 people, it's going to happen. So I can either hide from it or I can tackle it head on and be more confident when I do it. So I think it's one of those things where, you know, as much as you can try to put it, you know, to the side and think that it's not important. If you're, if you're trying to live a life with fear that where or if you're living a life where fear is stopping you from reaching your goals, it's, it's just, it's so toxic. Like, I don't even know how to, it's just, you have to break through that. Mm-hmm. It's so important.
0: Yeah. It, my, my little theory is that, and you kind of touched on it with social media, you know, we have access to every single person who has an internet connection, um, whether that's reading about their life or actually communicating with them. But I think with social media, the vast majority of the people are unknown or, you know, it's just like, Me or you where it's like nobody knows who we are. (laughs) Yeah, but I think there are a big population a big enough population Of big influencers. So I think of someone like, you know, Dave Asprey with the bulletproof radio And you know, I can name plenty others, but I think This relates to the five people closest to you kind of theory, but my theory is that You can choose That the five people closest to you that some of those people don't have to be in your close vicinity. If you consume oh, enough of their content, because this is, I mean, this has never been able to listen to someone else's voice through a podcast who, you know, let's say they have a thousand episodes. I can listen to that for weeks and it would be like, I listen to him more than I've heard anyone else speak. If I, you know, did course, that. Yeah. Um, so I think we have the ability to change the five people closest to us and it's not dependent on location and it's not dependent on whether or not they want to be our friends because it, because everyone's putting out their own content. So I think the reason I was able to change and go against the flow is because I kind of unconsciously made my five people closest to me people from the books I was reading yeah. and the podcasts I was listening to. So. Do you have any big names where it's like I can name off right now Tony Robbins, Seth Godin, Dave Asprey are like the top three people that inspire me and influence me? And Alan Watts, who's who's late um, dead, but those like four, and I can probably throw in another, but those are the four that come to mind that influence me every single day. Do you have kind of those people you could name on five fingers? Yeah, I mean, I think it's
1: interesting. Um, I never really thought about it, Like like you just brought it up, I mean, in terms of you don't have to be friends with them. They can be these, you know, these figureheads that put out content, or maybe not even figureheads, maybe they're just, you know, Maybe it's someone like you, you know, my cousin that's coming out and, you know, putting out content, right. right? And I mean, honestly, to be completely honest with you, with the amount of content you're putting out right now, I am probably consuming just as much of your content as some of these bigger names that, you know, that I listen to. But, you know, whether it's Tim Ferriss or Dave Asprey or, um, there's so many good names. So for me, I would say, I mean, Tim Ferriss definitely is good, but I would say like vision Likiani is somebody yeah. that's really good. Mind Valley, I think is really interesting. Um... Dave, I mean, Dave Asprey is definitely one that like both of us, I would say he's kind of the pinnacle, like he's biohacking is the term that he's coined. Right. And it's very, it's very focused on not only on, you know, maybe is a little selfish to the point where it's like, how do you completely optimize your body and your mind? But it's also at the end of the day, why are you doing that? To help the world, mm-hmm. to push you, are a better version on yourself to spread that light to the world. And I think that's something that Hal Elrod, Hal Elrod that. To me, really, he sticks out because it's someone that I've seen in person, I've met, I've shook, I've shake, you know, I've I've shook his hand. Like he is a good guy. He remembers who you are. Like he's got you know millions of followers, but at the same time, like he'll remember your name. And that's to me, it's like that's mind blowing. Like when you're that, when you know that many people, and you're still yeah. that aware and that you know that caring for an individual, that means a lot. So he's he's someone that's on that list. Alan Watts is. Man, like, when I need to just, like, clear my head and, like, I go on, like, a 15-minute walk and just throw in an Alan Watts YouTube video, and I'm just, like, my mind's blown. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm, like, he basically, I mean, one of my favorite things that Alan Watts said is just talking about weightlessness and how, you know, we, if we can just get out of our own way and just get out of our own head, the world becomes such an easier place. And we have such a hard time doing that. And he just has so many different... Uh, incredible quotes that I can't even you know begin to think of off the top of my head right now, but that I've written down or put in my notes that are like just, like, exa- as you said, you know, do you remember all the things you consume? Of right. course not. I write them down and then I can go look at them. Yeah. But I mean, Alan Watts is someone that he just was—he was ahead of his time, right? Yeah. I mean, he just nobody was doing what he was doing uh, back then. Well, and it blows my mind because I don't even think there's anyone comparable to him today. No. No, absolutely not. I haven't, and I haven't seen it at all. I mean, I, I that um, that podcast I sent, or the YouTube video I sent you, Bruce Lipton is an interesting yeah, yeah. guy. He talks he about a... energy psychology. Mm-hmm. I think um, there's also another guy. I think it was like Michael Gervais or something like that. He's a sports psychologist. I think that's his name. Mm-hmm. He worked closely with the Seattle Seahawks, very much kind of along the Alan Watts, Bruce Lipton mentality, okay. where you can control your mind. Everyone's born into a different situation and and people of course have much harder times than others but if you can realize and you can tap into this power of your own mind and you know and be basically just become a better person through repetition through you know whether it's going to sleep and listening to music I mean when you're sleeping your theta brainwaves or that's the time when you can actually change your your subconscious yeah I mean little things that I'm starting to learn that are pretty crazy. And I can't say I'm sitting here doing it. I I, I don't do that. But uh, there are ways to change who you are. And the world we are living in now, you're 100% right. I don't have to, especially now with COVID. I mean, you know, a lot of people don't have the ability to see five people a day, you can sit. And if you don't have a job, and you're sitting there, and you're anxious, and you, you know, you're trying to figure out what to do, well, you know, consume some free content. And, And obviously, it's easier said than done. I think there's yeah. It's a hard time right now for a lot of people. And I, I get it. I totally sympathize. And I'm somebody that has realized through the pandemic that I do crave, you know, human contact and I, I do want to see people and have these, you know, face to face interactions. Yeah. But put yourself in a situation where you can learn. That's my that's the biggest advice I could give right now is there's so many brilliant minds out there, so much amazing things, so many amazing things to read. Mm-mm try not to consume yourself with what the masses are reading, question everything, be curious. Yeah. And
0: I think that's the best way to, to you know really grow. Oh yeah. And I think, um, just really quick to touch back on Alan Watts. Cause I think I'm going to do a solo episode before this one actually airs. completely devoted to the nice. stuff I've read of him. Awesome. But the one thing that is a big part of his philosophy is like, why do you need to improve yourself? What's the point yes, of it? Exactly. So he really rejects all this he does. stuff. But then um, I was listening to another podcast. I'll try not to make too many obscure references. (laughs) But they – like the two people on the podcast read a book and it's like this really kind of rich, wise guy on Twitter whose name I'd probably have to put in the show notes. But his philosophy is in a lot of ways like Alan Watts. But then his thing is get rich first because – you're not gonna take a rich person's word for it when they tell you money doesn't matter. You know, if you don't have money, if you don't have all these resources, and then some billionaire's like, oh, money doesn't make you happy, let them come to that their own conclusion. Um mm, interesting. Or else they're never gonna believe you. And I think that might have been the one thing like kind of connecting the two philosophies. Right. Where it's like Alan Watts kinda of needs to be that second thing. Like why and you've kind of Beat the the social game in terms of the monetary value, and you've um, reached financial independence, and you feel good about what you're doing. Then it's time to kind of look deeper, whether that's inward, outward, any word um, right, you right. want to say. Interesting.
1: Yeah, I mean that's something that I'm. You know, I could I could definitely think of some counter arguments to that, but that's a really interesting perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it's 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 again it's about balance. It's trying to figure it, find a way yeah. to, and again, I mean could, yeah, maybe I could put my, you know, just 80 hour a week working hat on and go crazy and try to just focus on getting rich. But I've realized, you know, especially after this, the knee injury where if I don't have that balance, uh, you know, if I don't, if I don't prioritize, you know, an hour, two hours a day of yoga, of walking, of riding a bike, like uh, my brain's not going to work as well. Yeah. And I need to have that, you know, that uh, exercise, that active component, even if it's standing at my desk, you know, rather mm-hmm. than sitting for eight hours a day. Uh, it's it's just it's imperative for me to do that to reach full potential from a yeah. just brain capacity standpoint.
0: Yeah, and I think I should rephrase um, is that it's that kind of thinking is meant for the people who think money is the end game. I got you. And yeah. people who kinda haven't come to that own conclusion yeah. themselves. I got you. And that doesn't have to be money, it can be any goal, like I think of an athlete and oh, I want gold medal at the Olympics. Get that before you realize that doesn't make the world perfect. Well, it's like, I mean,
1: you, you, one of the things that you probably talk about most in your content is the story, right? I mean, yeah. one of my favorite quotes of all time came at the, my first conference, the self-development conference, in, uh, or the, the, the Front Row Summit in Ohio. And it was from Jeff Hoffman, the uh, former Priceline CEO. Uh, amazing guy, incredible story, just mm-hmm. really an awesome culture for CEO. And the quote is simple. The journey is the destination. You know, mm-hmm. the journey is the destination. It's not... I mean, it's not about that and, oh, I cashed out my business for $15 million. I got an island. I got a house on an island. Like, no, it's it's those intricacies in life that the yeah. goods and the, the good and the bad, the ebbs and the flows that you have to appreciate. And obviously, it's easier to just, you know, say it and think it than it is to actually practice it on a day-to-day basis. But mm-hmm. if you can at least be aware of it, it will help. And that's, just, yeah. I think, to me, the biggest thing that I've been able to do in the last few years compared to the past is – you know, just take that, take a deep, take a deep breath, focus on things that you can control, be in the present moment, and you know it'll
0: take care of itself. Yeah, and that makes me think of that quote. Makes me think of kind of obviously. Yeah, we've been taught that it's like, oh, it's about the journey. I think the last thing I'll touch on with Alan Watts, because there is going to be an episode before <laughs> this all about it, but this idea of like thinking of life as music or a song, where the point of a song is not to get to the end. It's not the, like, last note that's the most important. It's the whole thing. It's the whole ebb and flow. And I think that's what I'm trying to, like, realize in my own life. And not like it's an easy thing. Of course I have desires and wanting to reach these end goals. But I think in some part of my mind I know that it's not everything. But that doesn't keep me from wanting those things. Right. Um, the fireworks in the in the night sky, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> like I I it know is. that stuff on a conscious level, but I don't know if that has fully sunk in for me. And as you know, will it ever? Right, like, probably
1: not. Right, yeah. I and mean, you it'll be there. It's gonna you know yeah. it in the back of your mind, but you're gonna have those moments where whether you have rider's block or you know malcia's bothering you, <laughs> yeah. or you're know, you <laughs> yeah. having a fight with your parents, like it, it just it happens, right? Yeah, it's life, and
0: I you know. That's the same thing for me man. Yeah. It's a constant battle. I'm glad this has been the longest podcast episode oh, yeah, cuz it's I been like the most fun to record. We're right around the hour and a half mark, maybe okay. a little bit before, but we can cut if we need, you know. Feel free to cut if you. Need Honestly, to. I don't want to cut, All but right, I um, so I want to give you the opportunity to kind of shout out anything that you want to, whether I mean you talked about some of the nonprofits just yeah, people want to look Yeah, up. so okay, so
1: USGBC, so US Green Building Council, they have a St. Louis version, uh, St. Louis chapter, and anyone can join that. Um, as far as nonprofits go, I would say, I mean, if I'm gonna have to make a, a shout out for a nonprofit, mm-hmm. something that is a huge part of our family that I didn't touch on at all is music. And mm-hmm. my dad's a you know musician; he's played you know drums his entire life, and our good family friend started a nonprofit, Pianos for People, and that was uh, started about four or five years back. And Tom Townsend founded that, and he tragically passed uh, um, last year. And just one of the coolest foundations in the city, nonprofits, mm-hmm. basically where they give pianos to underserving family, underserved families in uh, St. Louis and the surrounding area. So definitely would check that out. Um, you know, sort of sustainability is concerned, uh, the you know. U.S. Green Building Council is doing great things with working with uh, different, commun- different schools and, yeah. and helping bring sustainability. But, but, yeah, I think that's about it. I'm, I'm done rambling. I know it's been a long, yeah. long 90 minutes oh, plus, but, man, this has been awesome.
0: flown by, yeah. Um, Zach, thank you so much for coming on the show. Awesome, man. Appreciate it. This has been Purple Elephant Radio. Don't forget to subscribe, and we'll see you next week.